What Do We Do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning. Introducing listeners to the leaders in our community. Hosted by the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen. Alongside WWJ Midday News anchor, Brooke Allen. Hey, I'm Brooke Allen. Our goal with the What Do We Do podcast is to educate listeners on topics that impact your financial growth, your retirement, and your lifestyle. And I'm Dewey Steffen. Join us twice a month as we welcome some of today's leaders in the community for conversations that can help with investment decisions so you can plan for and live your best life. Here's Dewey Steffen alongside Brooke Allen. Dewey, it is so exciting to see you and to be here on the What Do We Do podcast. I cannot wait for uh, the season to start, which I guess it is actually starting right now. Brooke, it's great to see you. <laughs> podcast listeners, it's great to talk to you. YouTube viewers, it's great to see you. And yes, Brooke, this is officially season two. It's episode one, mm -hmm. and we're back from vacation. Oh, yes. I'm assuming you had a wonderful vacation. Of course. I had an amazing vacation, Brooke, and you know what I did? Mm. I went fishing. Yes, you did, didn't yes, you? Yes, <laughs> I did. And everyone out there, I went fishing, and I caught a shark. Literally. Literally, <laughs> I caught Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, and we were able to grab him for a 30-minute Zoom interview exclusive for our listeners and our viewers, where he talks about investing as a small business owner, investing as just an employee of a company, and investing for your future and how to make your financial dreams into reality. So I am so excited to share this interview with our community. And Brooke, as we've talked before, mm -hmm. a reminder to everyone out there, our community and the mission of Great Lakes Wealth and the What Do We Do podcast is to give back to our community. And we do that by finding leaders in our community that have a story to tell, that have knowledge to share and advice to give. And with Mr. Wonderful, we found that and we have him here. And I'm so excited to share that with our community, with you and everyone else. And with that, this is season two, episode one. And as we always say, Brooke, mm -hmm. what do We're we say? We're just getting started. We're just getting started. <laughs> Let's go to the interview with Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. Can't wait. I'd like to formally introduce Kevin by letting you know that his success story starts at the same place where most entrepreneurs start, with a big idea and zero cash. Kevin is a top entrepreneur, speaker, author, venture capitalist, and TV celebrity. Kevin provides audiences with insights on business, finance, and financial literacy. Kevin was born on July 9th, 1954, and as the son of a UN official, he had the opportunity to live and be educated in Cambodia, Cyprus, Ethiopia, France, and Switzerland. Kevin attended the University of Waterloo, where in 1977, he received an honors bachelor degree in environmental studies and psychology. He then attended the Ivy Business School, where he received his MBA in 1980. Then it was off to the big time. In 1986, Kevin co-founded Soft Key Software. And after 13 years of hard work, mergers, acquisitions, in 1999, 
the Mattel Toy Company acquired Kevin's company for $4.2 billion. Since then, in the past 21 years, Kevin has invested in multiple venture companies across a wide range of sectors. Kevin has also launched O'Leary Fine Wines, O'Leary Financial Group, and O'Leary Funds. He has also written three books, plus started his own podcast and YouTube series called Ask Mr. Wonderful. Kevin is also a regular contributor to CNBC, ABC News, and Good Morning America. However, most of you, most of us, know him from his celebrity status on ABC's hit venture capital reality show, Shark Tank. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Kevin O'Leary, AKA Mr. Wonderful, to the What Do We Do podcast. Kevin, thanks for being here. How are you? Very good, thank you very much. Great, did I miss anything with that introduction? I think that was very good. Okay, I'm sure <laughs> a few got things, it all but, there. Uh, I'm sure a few things, but uh, it, it's fantastic. But thank you again for joining us today. With that, I would like today's focus to be on helping small business owners and entrepreneurs, and maybe anyone else out there listening or watching who is looking to build more wealth. But before we get into the weeds and dive into that, I'd like to break the ice and have you share with our audience how you got the name, Mr. Wonderful. You know, I think it's sort of, um, it, it's, it's almost a cynical name. And I, we think it was Barbara Cochran in the first season of Shark Tank, not agreeing with something I was doing in terms of structure, like maybe the first royalty guild or something and saying, well, isn't that just Mr. Wonderful? And I said, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. I am Mr. Wonderful. And I think it just stuck and went crazy. I mean, I, I can't believe how far this whole thing's gone including Shark Tank. My goodness, nobody knew at those days this would ever happen. It's been an incredible ride. And part of branding and part of a certain persona, right? That's kind of how uh, that cachet comes Yeah, I think, I think it works. I mean, I got a healthy skepticism. You know, everybody calls me the mean shark. I just, the shark that tells the truth. So it's kind of a, you know, a, like a, a skeptical name and I like it. Fantastic. We appreciate your personality 100%. Um, and those, for those who don't know, we're not gonna explain what Shark Tank is, but if you don't know, look it up, go find it, because it's an amazing show. Um, but with that, how about you tell us, uh, you know, what you believe Shark Tank has meant to entrepreneurs and probably the bigger audience of viewers and maybe even yourself. Well, in, in the early days, no one thought a show about business would be watched by anybody. And it was nearly canceled three years in a row. In the fourth year, it went geometric and it became what it is today, an iconic platform. I think it's the essence of the American dream. I think what happens there is people learn from an early age, from nine years on, um, you know, about the structure of deal making and things like convertible debentures, royalty deals, debt. Uh, and, and many, many teachers have told me over the years that they use it as a class tool to talk about business. And of course, I'm very proud of it. But what it has really done, if you think about it, for consumer goods and services companies, it's created a platform where you can launch a business and 100 million people will see it. And some nights we get our money back in the first few hours of sales when a product gets launched on Shark Tank. We've created countless millionaires and sold billions and billions of dollars of consumer goods and services. So we, we think, you know, it's one of those serendipitous things. You don't know, like who knew that would happen, but it, it is a behemoth now. It is well-known platform. It's on in 23 countries. Um, 
you know, it's number one on Friday nights. It's a remarkable platform. Well, it is fantastic, and we appreciate uh, again you sharing that. I'm going to ask you one more question about that, which is what is your most memorable deal or maybe your most memorable moment from the show? Well, you know, for 13 years, there's been so many. I mean, the largest deal in Shark Tank history was the sale of uh, Plated, which was a meal kit company out of New York, to um, Albertson's grocery chain for $340 million. That was my deal. And it was... Um, you know, nothing's beat it yet, but it just shows you that was a 36 month old company. And, and those, the two people who founded it are multimillionaires today. Uh, that, that all happened on Shark Tank. Again, simply amazing, especially in this day and age, um, you know, post COVID and even before that in 08, you know, with the crash. And since then, I mean, people are looking for an inspiration and the ability to be entrepreneurial. You know, I believe that that to be the case. How about we get into the weeds a little bit? And I'm going to ask you about our community, business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, and investors. So the first question I have is what advice would you specifically give to small business owners and entrepreneurs? Uh, to have the success that they, you know, would like to have in the future in this changed forever post-COVID world. You know, what's happened in the last 14 months is extraordinary. You've seen this incredible digitization of the American economy and the businesses that survived, including large ones like Nike even. Nike achieved something in five months that they thought would take six years. They're now 50% direct to consumer of all products, goods, and services all around the world. The same thing for small business in America. If you were able to figure out a way to sell direct to your consumer, ship the product direct to them, form a relationship with them, service them, provide them customer service, not only did you survive the pandemic, your margins are higher because when you sell something direct to consumer, the only cost you have are customer acquisition costs and manufacturing and transportation logistics costs. So the margins can be as high as 90%. When you sell through retail, you only get a 50% gross margin. So what I would say to small business in America, if you haven't figured out how to set up direct to consumer, you should, because that's where people want to invest their money, their time, their capital. But also those are the more successful businesses in America today. It's not that you don't have to sell in retail or have a storefront. But if you can augment that with direct consumer, then you're building a real franchise. I agree 100%. Thank you for that. A follow up to that would be for those uh, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, small business owners, but also those that aren't, but we're all investors, right? So let's go and, and uh, take the next step with that thesis, which is for our traditional long term investors out there. We have historic low interest rates. Arguably, inflation is on the rise and stock markets nearing all-time highs. So for investors, whether it's those business owners or those just in their 401ks or whatever else it may be, how do they need to approach it or invest to crush it for the next five to 10 years? I've always felt that you want to, when, it doesn't matter what sector of the economy that you're investing in, you want to go and look at the quality of the company's model. And I give you an example. I don't um, invest in the S&P 500 because there's many companies in there that the, if you look at what's happening to them, their, their business models have changed. Energy companies, for example, are now being uh, delisted by pension plans for various reasons. Uh, the airline industry is upside down because of all the debt on their balance sheets. 
Most companies have a terrible return on assets now. I, I'm all about quality. And, and for me, uh, I like to index. I use a lot of ETFs, but um, I use a, an index called OUSA and it's, it's, it's issued by, uh, you know, a, a financial services company called OShares that I'm an owner of. And I, so these, these, you know, I'm interested in, I know I'm talking my own book, but that's a subset of the S&P 500. That's my largest holding. They're the companies that have high quality. Um, I'm not trying to beat the, the index. What I'm trying to do is protect my capital. So when there's drawdowns, high quality balance sheets tend to go down less. And that's what OUSA is all about. So it's really about the quality of the company and the return on assets, the cash flow, the free distributions of cash and profits. So, you know, I know I'm known for Shark Tank, but that's not where my real money is. My real money is invested in very conservative mandates because uh, I distribute 6% a year and I have to make that year in, year out. So I, I want to own good companies to do that. And that's what OUSA is for me. It's, a, it's an ETF. That's basically it. And uh, would you agree with that, that also, again, looking for the cash flow and looking for the opportunities to make money, certainly, but also that would protect on the downside as inevitably there will be, whether they're just corrections or a period in time that's a longer drawdown, that'll offer, also offer some protection, I would imagine. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's the whole idea. It's very diverse. You know, it's not, it's, it's rules based. So it gets rebalanced each year and every quarter it's adjusted as well. Um, it's very boring, but I like boring. When you're putting a lot of capital in harm's way, you want to, you want to be in a boring, stable, high quality mandate. And that's what OUSA does. Well, I appreciate that. And I also know that you do have a few things that are not boring. And I'm going to say the one that I believe, um, you know, has been getting a lot of attention uh, for people who follow you or from some of your recent comments. I'm going to save that maybe till the end. But before that, let's go to some additional uh, or some, you know, bore, non-boring ideas. I'm going to throw out maybe digital assets. That's the current buzz, whether that is blockchain and cryptos or just anything with AI, cybersecurity, 5G, virtual reality, you know, FinTech, large data, et cetera. What do you think about the digital asset space for the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I, I would go back and look at what happened over the last 18 months in, in this digitization of America. Companies that no one had ever heard of like Zoom or DocuSign or, uh, uh, you know, CrowdStrike for security, um, Shopify, all of these companies uh, had tremendous growth and they're again captured in an index that I own called OGIG, which is Global Internet Giants. And they are the ones that are the, the horsepower for this digitization. The index obviously did very well last year, but I, I think we're in the third inning. I mean, it's one of my, it's a 20% holding for me. And I, I would encourage people that, you know, don't have exposure to that kind of hyper growth because the average growth rate in that index is 40% a year. And it's very, it's volatile because that's the nature of technology companies. But each quarter you can see evidence of the growth and then the free cash flow that they're generating. Um, my attitude is on growth companies is to, is to monitor two things. The quality of their balance sheets should be getting better because they're getting more cash. And secondly, their growth rates quarter after quarter. And those companies are the ones that are really empowering America to the digital 2.0. And so, uh, you know, that's sort of uh, what I own in, in uh, that those do not have digital currency in them. There's no Bitcoin there, but they are companies, real companies that are very, very profitable. And I, I urge people because it's transparent just to go online and look at the company names. Every, I know everybody knows the Fangs, you know, 
uh, Facebook and, and Amazon, et cetera. But if you, if the fangs are in that index, but they're actually the worst performing names. Everything else grew faster. And so it just shows you around the world, there are much bigger companies growing faster in some cases because they're in faster growing economies. Um, regarding digital currency, yes, I do have a 3% weighting in Bitcoin and Ethereum. But what interests me now more is DeFi, the idea that I can take my Bitcoin and loan it out and make interest on it. I'm making about 47 to 9%, depending on the period you look at, uh, loaning out my crypto. Now, crypto is not for everybody. It's very controversial. Uh, institutions are not into it yet. And in many cases, it's not compliant for some institutions. So it's a personal holding I have, and I'm just learning more and more about it every day. Um, but I enjoy, you know, the, the dialogue about the, de the future of digital, and I think all currencies will be digital one day. So it's just a way to index it. Uh, fantastic. Thank you for that answer. Now let's switch gears to maybe about inflation, right? We have all time lows, historic lows on interest rates, and we're now starting to see again, you know, an increase of inflation from different factors. What about investments um, to protect against that stocks? Uh, historically will you know help that over a long time maybe there's a shock when we first see the the inflation numbers but what about gold and other hard assets yeah i, I own a five percent weighting in gold i own the bullion i pay for the storage for two and a half percent and then the other two and a half percent i use again etfs gld it's not the cheapest gold etf but however it does provide tremendous liquidity when you're rebalancing um Gold's always been 5% for me. Lately, I'm not sure it's doing its job as well as it used to hedging against inflation because it's, I think crypto is competing with it a bit, but I think it's always good to hold some gold, but not a lot, 5% max for me. My crypto is a 3%, I'll probably raise it to 5% by the end of the year. Um, but I look at it as, you know, these are asset classes that should do a good job uh, as we continue to print more and more money because Things of scarcity like gold and Bitcoin tend to do better uh, when people are concerned about inflation, but it's unproven yet. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Fair enough. Uh, one more with uh, looking out, you know, in the distance, the current, you know, hot topic is also the space race. And when several, you know, very successful businessmen who I know, you know, are uh, in a race to get to Mars, to get past Mars. Um, what are your thoughts on that as an investment, again, for the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I, I think the, the space um, race, again, the private space race is interesting. None of them are profitable yet. And so I tend to get involved in sectors uh, more after they've proven their business model and they've found a way to show me consistently they can remain profitable. Right now, they're very speculative. Nothing wrong with, with owning some. I have no problem with that, but I, I don't put it into conservative mandates like a family trust or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure what happens to these things. Um, I hope there's, everything goes safely, obviously, but uh, they're very speculative in nature, but that's okay. But for me, the really conservative stuff is the OUSA, the OGIG, you know, profits, like companies that make money. <laughs> I like that. And they distribute the money back in the form of dividends and I reinvest it or I spend it. Uh, that's more of, of the kind of thing I do. Appreciate that. Then this next question might uh, throw a little curve that way, because again, I'm sure it's not the, the bulk of any portfolio that you're you know, managing or, or having uh, personally, but the talk of psychedelic drugs as a way to help 
with perhaps mental illness and other situations prior to some, you know, in the last 12 months uh, comments and maybe research, the, the buzz had been with cannabis, right? And originally cannabis, as you know, started as the recreational use in the THC, but now it's the CBD and other properties within cannabis that have a medicinal purpose. But again, looking forward, uh, other ideas in the psychedelic space. I know you've made some comments and again, not for, you know, any major bulk of, you know, anybody's investment portfolio, but what um, are your comments uh, to date on those? So I don't invest in cannabis because it's still a schedule of narcotic and most of the companies participate in recreational distribution, which I, I can't get involved in because it breaches RICO statute. So it's not compliant for me. I am an investor in the psychedelics for medicine space, uh, companies like Compass and MindMed. MindMed is my largest holding. It has over 17 clinical trials with the FDA right now. Uh, I'm a big believer that we have not explored the potential medicinal uh, aspects of mental health is a huge problem. It's a multi-billion dollar problem in America, just opioid addiction, uh, depression, anxiety, all of these, uh, these illnesses, uh, it, it looks promising. And that's why these companies are going through the, the clinical trial route. Um, and, and while they're doing that, they're junior farmers, so they're speculative in nature, but the potential is so large that the market is treating these companies very well in terms of receiving them, allowing them to raise capital. Uh, MindMed, uh, when I got involved, was a $20 million market cap. Today, it's $1.3 billion. So obviously, it's grown dramatically in the last 18 months because I think people look at the potential of what it could bring as, as medicines. But, but they are also Schedule One narcotics, but there's no recreational psychedelics business. So uh, we're, we're just going down the path of clinically controlled FDA trials uh, towards medicine. And I'm very proud to be part of that movement. Uh, as the O shares have OUSA, those cash flow dividend payers and OGIG, the global internet giants, what about uh, next steps for the O shares and other investment strategies and whether it is in, you know, that, uh, you know, new frontier of psychedelics or to just, you know, anything else, um, you know, is that what, what's the future hold for that? Well, actually, you know, I'll disclose my holdings in O shares. Um, I, my weightings are like this. I'm 40% OUSA. 20% in OUSM, which is a really interesting index. It takes the rules of OUSA, trying to find the best companies and applies it to the Russell 2000 universe, which sub, most companies in Russell 2000 are not profitable, nor do they have very good returns on assets, but OUSM finds the ones that do. And so there's a couple of hundred out of the 2000 that are worth owning and you'll find them inside OUSM. I also own Europe and I've increased my weighting there lately because Europe's very interesting. Uh, it's also got a huge stimulus program going on, but generally the stocks are cheaper. It's, but the names, you know, Nestle, Roche, American Tobacco, um, everybody hates the European zip code. But on the other hand, um, there in many cases, half their sales come from the US and they're also at a lower PE. So I bought 20% of OEUR and the last 20 is an OGIG. So, I'm really using four products to bring the breadth of my portfolio across all sectors. Um, and, you know, I'm very comfortable because most of the companies in there have extremely high quality balance sheets. Do you see any additional product offerings for the O shares, you know, or the O'Leary family of funds? Yeah, there's always, um, you know, ideas in development because of the regulatory environment and the rules, you really can't talk about them. 
they, they, they come to market through prospectus and, you know, there's a protocol. So we really never discuss the future, but we're pretty happy so far with the past. And um, you can expect the company to keep growing. I mean, I'm very proud of it. I'm a large shareholder in it and I want to see it flourish. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Hey guys, it's Brooke. I want to take a minute to talk to you about Dewey Stefan and his great team at Great Lakes Wealth. Do you feel overwhelmed managing your assets? Well, Great Lakes Wealth offers Wall Street solutions with Main Street values. That is really what they are all about. They will help you develop a custom financial plan utilizing all of your assets and keeping your goals in mind. That is what Great Lakes Wealth is all about, helping you and your family achieve your financial dreams. So go to greatlakeswealth.us to schedule an appointment today and tell them Brooke sent you. I'm going to switch gears now and I'm going to try to get a little personal with you and kind of segue from business to personal with a little, you know, bridge of that gap. You've been quoted as saying, I have had some great successes and great failures. I think every entrepreneur has, and I try to learn from them all. If, uh, if that's in fact your quote or something similar, would you be willing to share a failure that you've had and something that you are additionally extremely proud of? You know, I, I've had, um, right now my portfolio is over, it's 35 uh, different private companies that I'm an owner in or in some way involved with through debt or whatever. The, the um, royalties what I've learned is- Might be royalties. Have, yeah, I do royalties, that's for sure. I'm known for that. But, you know, I, I also think that what I've learned about it's the portfolio management is important because the deals I think are going to be really successful never end up being the ones that are true standouts. And the ones that may be marginal in my mind when I actually invest in them end up being stratospheric successes. And so you just don't know, particularly when you're doing venture, uh, what's going to work out. Um, you know, I, I avoid uh, companies now that, that uh, don't have sustainability mandates because obviously pension and sovereign capital, uh, institutional money has sustainability committees. So I don't invest in things that are going to go, uh, you know, awry of that. And I also, uh, I'm not really that interested in companies that only use retail distribution for their product or service. I'm far more interested in direct to consumer. Um, those margins are stratospheric, returns are amazing. The data you glean from selling to your own customers is invaluable. And so for me, that's more of, of what I, I focus on. Um, you know, I, I, I tend to be very, very careful in, in terms of where I deploy capital. I want to know that the, the management team has something special that they can do in terms of executional skills to make it work. And, um, that's sort of, uh, you know, very important to me. I like to pour gasoline on the fire once they've proven their business model. So th that tends to be what I do. And I, I generally look at about 15 deals a year and close about 10. And then a lot of the time, my companies are being acquired by SPACs or by strategics or for private equity. So I'm losing out of the portfolio and then recirculating that capital uh, back into the market. And so right now we've got three different deals that are being acquired. Um, they'll close shortly and I'll take that capital and put it back to work. Maybe into some more OUSA, OGIG and the rest. Right. But uh, besides that, we're going to switch to a segment on our show. What do we do where we ask our guest what Kevin do? And what that means is what do you wish you could go back and tell your 18 year old self or other 18 year olds out there today? I don't think I change uh, much of my past because I wouldn't be who I am today. And I'm, I'm pretty comfortable now, but 
in, in who I am. I'm, I'm happy in my skin. But I would say one thing that I learned uh, in my younger self, be an apprentice, work for somebody else for a couple of years, learn the ropes. Uh, that is actually very, very important in terms of establishing yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur and a manager. It's very, very important in my view, um, and I, I, I appreciate this over time now, you know, the Swiss have apprentice programs for, for kids in high school that they can go work in Nestle, uh, you know, for summer jobs or a couple hours each evening. And the reason they're doing that is to give them experience about corporate life. Um, many Swiss companies have this. It's, it's a great example of how they do it. But also they're assessing that individual at an early age to see if they're going to be the right talent that they can put, you know, maybe even pay for their college and bring them back in to, to, to harvest and, and, and help and, 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 and build great talent. I mean, great companies are run by great people and you have to find them. They're very hard to find. And organizations live on and breed off success. And so I'm, I'm very focused on HR. Human resources now really matters to me in my investment thesis. So I would tell younger people, go prove yourself. And I don't mean working for your uncle. I mean, arm's length, not in the family business, outside of the family business, where you're really tested for your own individual skills. Words from the wise. Kevin, thank you very much for that. And we are actually running out of time. So I'm gonna wrap it up and just ask you quickly, uh, do you have a last comment for a, our listeners, our YouTube viewers, or anybody else out there that you want a message uh, to get sent to about any topic, you know, this is your uh, platform uh, for, you know, for that. Sure. You know, people call me every day now worried about the market near all-time highs. I think today S&P may have a new high um, and when to get in, when to get out. I've, I don't time the market. I've, I've tried to, it doesn't work. It's impossible. Last year, the majority of gains came in nine days. If you weren't in the market in those days, you didn't have the gains. And so you kind of have to be agnostic to, to volatility. You have to learn to live with it and stay the course. And so I would, my advice to investors is decide what allocation you're going to put into stocks and just ride it, ride the wave. Uh, you will not, you will definitely be su subject to corrections, gut wrenching corrections. And the way, the only defense on that is to own quality names. That's the way I do it. That's why I own OUSA. It, everything goes up, everything goes down. It's always been the nature of the market, but you have to stay in it. Uh, to get the on average returns of seven or eight percent a year over a long period, and that's why I do it. Uh, and that's my advice. I always say the same thing to everybody. I'm not a market timer. I don't know how to do it. I don't know anybody who does. Again, more words from the wise. I am so happy to be back for our second season, and we have huge plans for season two of the What Do We Do podcast. We started today with financial experts entrepreneur and celebrity, Mr. Kevin O'Leary, AKA Mr. Wonderful, and our brand new co-host, radio personality, Brooke Allen, will officially be joining us for our next podcast, episode two. So please go ahead, hit the subscribe button now, so you'll be the first to know when that episode drops. Again, I wanna thank everyone for tuning in, a special Big time, booyah to ya to Mr. Kevin O'Leary. Thanks for being with us. And as we always say, live your best life. And we're just getting started.
The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.